G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. I consider this to be the first miracle that's not mentioned or that we talk about. Jesus says, you divide 20,000 people up into groups of 50. Can you see 12 men dividing 20,000 people up into groups of 50? That's a miracle in and of itself. But they managed to do it. And then here's what happens according to the text. And it happens in this order. And it's important that you see this. Jesus takes the bread and he blesses it. Today. 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 With Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me want to dance and sing with every single breath I breathe. I will bring this offering. You are my wonder. You bring the wonder. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Hello, my name is Bill and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. In this episode, Pastor Jeff is sharing with us about how to understand a person's true wealth. To understand this wealth and worth, we must also have insight into the character and nature of God, our Heavenly Father. Here's Pastor Jeff. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and whole verse 10 just there. We'll get to it in a moment. Uh, you know, I, I was reading a story this week. I can't tell you if it's true or not. It was on the internet. So, you know, you have to take it for what it's worth. But evidently, there was a story about a little boy who needed $100 really desperately. So he prayed for it. And after two weeks, he hadn't heard anything. So he decided to write God a letter. And uh, it sounds true. He writes God a letter and asked him for the $100 and told him why he needed it. And it was a good cause. So he... Uh, Address the letter to Lord, USA, and put it in the postal box. And evidently, a postmaster saw it, and it was not sealed. So he opened it up, read the letter, thought, this is kind of cool. Sent it over to the president. And I'm not sure which presidency it was, so this is not a political story. Sent it to some president, whoever was president at that time. President opened it up, read the letter, and thought, man, this is really cute. Had his secretary send the little boy, because his address was on the envelope, $5. And he said, you know, that'll mean a lot to a boy. $5, that's, to a boy that small is a lot of money. So the little boy got the $5, and he was happy. So he sat down to write a letter uh, to God, and he said, uh, dear Lord, thank you uh, for the money that you sent. Uh, I couldn't help but notice, however, for some reason you had to send it through Washington, D.C., and as usual, those jerks took $95 of it. <laughs> and so I only, I only ended up with five, so I thought you ought to know that. And uh, I thought, you know, I could see that happening. Couldn't you see that happening? That's, that's, that's too real for a lot of us. That's why for some of us, it's not funny. But uh, I, I started, th- I read that and I started thinking, it's, it's so important to me during this series. Man, I'm just going to come right out and say it. It's so important to me 
that you don't feel manipulated during this. You know, I can't, I don't like it. And when I was younger and I'd go to sermons on, on, you know, God opening the windows of heaven and blessing us, that I just felt manipulated. I felt that there was some formula some dude was giving me that somehow guaranteed something was going to happen. And uh, I just do not want that to happen in this series. So nothing is ever going to take the place of Jesus. Nothing. So it's important for me as your pastor, it's important for me to know that you know that, that you, you are safe and secure in your salvation because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. It's not contingent on how, how good you were this week. If it was, you'd most be in trouble, right? And so would I. That, that is, this, this message series is not about your salvation. It's about uh, us positioning in ourselves where I believe God will open the windows of heaven and bless us while we're here. But your salvation is secure. You got that? You violate these principles. I think it's going to violate some of the abundant life Jesus came to bring, but your salvation is secure. Do you understand that? And I'm not talking to you about your salvation. That has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with God. Now, I walked out on stage last week and I said, how many of you want God to open the windows of heaven and pour out his blessings on you? It amazed me the different responses I got from each service. You know, we do about six services around here and every service was different. Some services just kind of looked at me like, yeah, 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 go ahead. It's so cynical. We've become so cynical to think that God would get involved in our lives. We have. So some of you think, yeah, okay, what do you got to say? Then there was another audience that were kind of optimistic. You didn't, you know, you, you said, okay, yeah, that'd be great. Cool. I don't think it can happen, but cool. Let me hear it. And then there was the Sunday night crowd. You got to go to Sunday night sometimes. They're just a wild bunch. They said, bring it on, man. Bring it on. Okay. They were fired up. Now, there are some things about the Bible that I don't understand, and I don't think that any man understands or woman all the Bible, but it doesn't change the things I do understand, okay? And one of the things I do understand is that the Bible is very clear that Jesus came to redeem us, but also to reveal to us what God was like. So if you don't know what God is like, you look in the scripture, you find the identity of God. And the number one metaphor, number one example Jesus uses to tell us what God is really like, and he would know, right? is this, that God is a heavenly father who desperately wants to bless his children. And I said that, but I also said that while that is true, God is not an enabler. He does not reward bad behavior. And the principle of the first fruits or first portions, it's all through the Bible, folks. It starts with the Garden of Eden and the tree. It, start, it goes to Cain and Abel. It goes to Abraham. It goes right on through to Malachi, all the way through in the New Testament with Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, all the way through the Pauline epistles and 1 Corinthians and so on, all the way through the book of Revelation. There is a principle at stake. And here's what we said. We said that if you want God to bless any area of your life, now, we tend to get stuck on money, but if you want God to bless any area of your life, your finances, your time, your talents, your abilities, whatever, then the Bible is very clear here. And it's not just an Old Testament thing. It runs all the way through the Bible. You got to give God the first portions of that area. And when you do, he opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing on you. So if you want God to bless your day, you give the first of your day to him and he will redeem the rest of it. If you want God to bless your week, you give God the first portion of your week. That's why the Christians met on the first day of the week. That's why I asked some of you, this needs to become a non-negotiable, not just something you do on a whim. If you want God to redeem and bless the rest of your week, you give him the first portions of your week. That's Sunday. That's the day of the Lord. If you want God to bless your finances, if you want that involved too, then you give him the first portions, the first fruits, the firstborn we looked at last week. And then God makes a commitment that he will redeem the rest. 
In the same way that God gave his firstborn and all of mankind was redeemed, all who would call on the name of the Lord, you give God the first fruits or first portions of any area of your life. And the promise is that God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you. Proverbs 3 says it this way, honor the Lord with all your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase, that's in every area, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And so we began with the blessed life and we said, the blessed life begins when you understand that Whatever area you want God to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, you give him the first portions of that area of your life. That's pretty simple. Now I'm going to make another statement. I want to tell you, if I were in church, I'm just going to get it out there, and a pastor said this, the chances are I'd be exiting. So I'm going to need you to let me explain. Just give me five minutes to explain, please. Some of you who watch Lucy would get that. The Reverend, you have no idea what that was all about. Give me, just give me some time. And here's the statement. I am convinced that God does want to open the windows of heaven and bless your finances. Now, but you have to hear me out. You have to understand how this happens. And this is not something I've always believed, but I do believe that God, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, would like to shift some your way. But there's something you've got to understand. And so don't walk out of here until you've given me a fair hearing. I want to explain what needs to be said through a story that happens in the Bible and then make the application. And it's a story you're familiar with, Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's in various accounts. The one I'm going to look at is Luke chapter 9, verse 10. That's why I told you to turn there. Now look up. Well, you can read it later. I'm going to summarize it for you. I'm going to fill in the gaps a little bit of something we're not told. And then I want to make the story come alive. And let me tell you, you'll walk out of here different than you were when you came in. Jesus feeding the 5,000. Okay, here's what happens. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They're on the Messiah search committee. They're looking for the Messiah. They think they found the guy. They've been following Jesus everywhere he goes. So they're on this nationwide speaking tour. Momentum is building. More and more people are coming to hear Jesus. And he's speaking across generational lines, man. It's young people, adolescent, it's old age, middle age, everybody, men, women, children, everybody want to hear him. They come upon this one scene where suddenly the Bible tells us there are 5,000 men present. Now, 5,000 men, the reason it says men is because it's trying to tell you there's about 15 to 20,000 people there. If you include men, women, children, there's going to be, and nobody knows exactly, and I don't assume to know exactly. I'm just telling you it's a logical deduction, a pretty wise guess to say that the total crowd probably was around 15 to 20,000 people, including men, women, and children. Now, I used to think that you couldn't speak to this many people in an outdoor arena until I went to Rwanda to speak in those prisons, and 11,000 people or 11,500 people came out to hear me speak, and I spoke on the top of a hillside, and if the arena is just like it should be, you you can speak to that many people. So now I know it can happen. Jesus did it. He spoke to about 15 to 20,000 people. Now the thing about Jesus is he gets going and he preaches without any notes at all. He's pretty good. And he's able just to go on and on and on for eternity. No pun intended. He could just go on and on and on. And so he's preaching. It starts about nine o'clock. It's noon. It's lunchtime. He's still going. People haven't eaten anything. The disciples and their associates are kind of stirred. They're kind of a little bit frustrated with what's happening. Jesus keeps going, man. Doesn't even break for tea time or lunch. It's three o'clock now. It's about four o'clock and the associates, the disciples start talking among themselves about what's going on here. And they say something like, uh, hey, you know what? Somebody better go tell Jesus to chill because it's nearing five o'clock and 
all the restaurants are going to be closed. No McDonald's on the way home. And these people are hungry. They've not eaten anything. He better dismiss them and send them home so they can stop at the restaurants and get something to eat before it's too late. So let's say they chose Peter. I don't know which one they chose. Just one went to Jesus. Peter's the leader. He usually gets chosen for everything. He's willing to speak before he thinks. So he goes up to Jesus and imagine what would happen. Jesus in the middle of speaking. He's been up there like for seven, eight hours. The whole audience is intrigued and he kind of taps him on the shoulder, probably says, uh, can I speak with you just a moment? And he says, Jesus, look, you're doing a great job. I've been taking notes and listening. It's a good sermon. It's long. You guys think I'm long? Eight hours. He goes on. But Jesus, you got to chill, man. You got to send these guys home because they haven't eaten and McDonald's and Burger King going to be closed like in a half hour. So you got to send them home so they'll have something to eat. They haven't eaten all day. And you know, an unruly crowd, a hungry crowd won't be good. And so Jesus looks at him and he basically says this, no, you feed them. So he goes back to the disciples. Jesus continues preaching. Disciples say, what does he say? He said, no, he's going to keep going. He's not nowhere near the invitation time. (laughs) He said for us to feed him. Now, what do they do at that point? They do what most of us do. They start scrounging through the crowd, trying to find enough food to feed the crowd, which makes no sense at all to me. If there's enough food to feed the crowd, why gather it? Just let them feed themselves. But they take a very small amount. Robert Morris, who writes the book, The Blessed Life, says here's what they found. Two fish sticks, five hush puppies, Long John Silver's kid's meal, and a SpongeBob SquarePants action figure. And so they take these bread and fishes, as you know. And evidently, let's say it was Peter. He goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, man, this is all I found. And he thinks Jesus is going to say, that's all you got. Hey, we better send him home before McDonald's closes. But he doesn't do that. He says, good. Now here's what I want you to do. And I consider this to be the first miracle that's not mentioned or that we talk about. Jesus says, you divide 20,000 people up into groups of 50. Can you see 12 men dividing 20,000 people up into groups of 50? That's a miracle in and of itself. But they managed to do it. And then here's what happens according to the text. And it happens in this order. And it's important that you see this. Jesus takes the bread that the disciples collected and gave to Jesus, brought to Jesus. Jesus takes it and he blesses it. Then he breaks it and then he gives it to the disciples and the disciples give it to the people. Now stay with me for a moment. This is where the first principle comes into place. Something must be blessed something must be blessed before it can multiply. You with me? Something must be blessed before it can multiply. Now, again, Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it, gives it to the disciples and the disciples start to give it out, but it has not been multiplied yet. You understand? The miracle was not where Jesus says, okay, let it be done. And then there's all this food. No, 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 no. He gives the one piece of bread broken and he says, okay, feed the crowd of 5,000. You know what happens in the end, right? They collect 12 baskets filled with food, but it's important to notice how the miracle occurs. Now I say this first part because last week we talked about the very first fruits of our lives are holy, consecrated, set apart for God. So until we bring the first portions of our life, whatever it is to God, it cannot be blessed and it cannot multiply until it's been blessed. And the only way it can be blessed is if it's brought to God. Are you with me? So the first fruits, first portions, whatever it is, your time, your talents, whatever it is, you give that to God, then God blesses it. And then it has the potential to multiply, but it doesn't multiply yet. 
Let me rephrase. I need to make sure we understand this is the first step. Something must be blessed before it can multiply, and something can only be blessed when it's given to Jesus. Now, here's the second principle. And there are only two, and we're already to the second one. <laughs> here's it is. Only what is given away can be multiplied. Only what is blessed can be multiplied. Only what is given to Jesus can be blessed. And only what is given away can then be multiplied. Now, this is so important. If you look at the story, Jesus gives the disciples the bread, but the multiplication doesn't happen until they actually start actively giving away what Jesus has blessed beforehand. You with me? The Bible says in Luke 19, Luke 9, verse 16, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. Now the question is distribute what? He just broke a piece of bread in half and gave it to them. There's been no overflowing of multiplication. And then one disciple would break it and give it to another disciple and then break it. And every time they gave it away, guess what happened? It multiplied. Do you see? It did not multiply until they started to give it away. Now I can see the look in your eyes. So I will got a little demonstration for you. Here's what we give God. Now it could be anything. All right. See how small it is. Let's put it in this glass right here. This could be anything. This could be your time, the first fruits of your talents, the first fruits of your ability, the first fruits of your thinking, the first fruits of your money. It could be anything. And it looks pretty small, doesn't it? And you bring that to God and an amazing thing happens. God pours his spirit out upon it because of the promise he's made and nothing happens at first. And then it just gets out of control. Then it just starts exploding and growing and growing and expanding. Remember how little it was when we started? Remember? And now look how much is there. Look at this. Look at that. And it's still expanding. It's still growing. And then you try to put it in. The, I mean, that's about what we started with. And now look, it overflows. The principle is simple. Only that which is given away does God promise to expand. The miracle happens in the feeding of the 5,000 as each disciple by faith gives away what he thinks is not enough. He gives it away, it multiplies. He gives it away, it multiplies. Then they all go and give it away and it multiplies and it multiplies so much so it gets out of control and then they collect 12 baskets filled, overflowed more than they needed to feed 20,000 people. Now, this is so important, man. I want to make sure you get this. Only that which is given away can multiply. I want to show you a photo of somebody. This is Clyde and Wanda Buckles. Clyde was kind of like my youth pastor when I was a kid. Now we had a church and I told you in my church, we talked about sin 52 times a year. Every week the sermon was on sin. That doesn't mean it didn't have some good people in it. This was a good guy. He and his wife, they were farmers. He prayed for sons, never got one, got three daughters. Those three girls were incredibly attractive, but you couldn't date them because they were tough and they'd beat you up. But they were absolutely, his youngest daughter, I had the biggest crush on for most of my junior high and high school days. And so I called her and I said, look, would you send me a photo of your mom and dad now? And I texted her and she said, yeah, here you go. And I, I, I got the photo and I, man, when I first saw it, I almost started crying because this guy, a gentle giant, this guy lived his life, but for one purpose, that people who are far from God would come near. He was a farmer, guys. He didn't have a lot of money. But the guy gave so much stuff away. My favorite time of the month, I grew up in a poor family. And in 1976, we got our first McDonald's in my hometown. And it's big stuff. But we never got to go because we couldn't afford it. Dad couldn't take four sons and wife and our appetites. So we never got to go. He didn't have the money to go either. 
But once a month at youth group, you know what he'd do? Whether he had it or not, go down and just buy like 30 cheeseburgers and French fries and milkshakes. The only time I got soda then when I was young was when I went to Uncle Clyde's for youth group. This guy was such a giver. The thing about it was, and I didn't see it until later in life, he never seemed to be without. He didn't make a lot of money, but he always seemed to have plenty, but he always seemed to keep giving things away. And it's his life that I go back to and remember. This guy, the more he gave away, the more God expanded what little he had. I, I, I just want you to see, folks, and this is, this is going to hurt a little, but you're going to let me explain. Tithing is not giving. It's returning. You see? When you give a tithe to God, it's not giving. You're simply returning what is rightfully his. It's bringing back to the Lord what belongs to him. Otherwise, if it didn't belong to him, how could God accuse his people of robbing him? You can only rob somebody if it belongs to him. It belongs to him. The first portions of all of our life, yes, including our finance, belongs to him. It's rightfully his. That's why tithing is not giving, it's returning. It's returning back to God what is rightfully his. And the Bible says in Luke 16, you want a New Testament passage where Jesus is talking. He says, and if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Now, if you look carefully, when God's talking about you can't serve both God and mammon, the point of this verse is, if you're not faithful with God, he's the other man. If you're not faithful with the stuff that he's given you, how do you expect him to give you what is your own? So God doesn't expand your resources if you're not faithful in the resources he's already given and your faithfulness is bringing back to God what rightfully belongs to him. Now, here's what I believe. Stay with me now. It's not over. It'll become clear. I believe here's what God does in our lives. There are seasons of our lives when he sends us a little extra to see what we'll do with it. And if I get that little extra in my life and I go spend it all on myself, then God knows and so do you. Man, I can't be trusted with a little. Why would God trust me with a lot? See, folks, how many of you last week when I started talking thought, great, Pastor Jeff's finally going to give me a formula to get rich? <laughs> See, if that was your thought, guess what? It's still not about God. It's about you still. See, if you use God to get more money to spend on yourself, God's not first. It's still about you. I've had people come up to me as a pastor and say, Pastor Jeff, I'm getting ready to sell a house and I want to sell it right at the top of the market and get the highest price. You pray for that, I'm going to give to the church. <laughs> I would tell you what I think when somebody tells me that, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'll have somebody come to me and say, Pastor Jeff, I've got some stock. It's, you know, it's doing really well. Pray that God keeps it right there because if it does, I'm going to give a lot of money to the church. <laughs> My favorite was when a guy came to me probably four months ago and said, I'm about ready to go on a game show. I want you to pray that God give me the right answer at the right time. And I'll tell you, if I win a lot of money, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna give it, to give it to the, you know what I mean? I never see those people again. Because God's response to you is this, he who is faithful and what is least is faithful also much. If you're not faithful now, what makes you think you're going to be faithful when I give you a lot? Does God want to bless your finances? Yes. Does God want to multiply your finances? Yes, but not for you. <laughs> not for your purposes, for his, for his. 
So that's why I can honestly say, I believe that God wants to shift the cattle on a thousand hills your way if he can trust you to use it for his purposes, not yours. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. You see what I'm saying? I'm not promising any of you that you're going to get rich by tithing. I'm not. I'm going to promise you that if you give God the first, it's the right thing to do, that he'll redeem the rest. But only that which is given away can be expanded. And the truth is that God knows your motivation and you can't fool God. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.